Hey there, welcome to the Creative Metaverse Podcast, formerly known as the Game Artist Podcast. My name is Ryan Kingsline, and I'm the CEO of Vertex School, where we train creatives for the career of their lives. In this podcast, we interview amazing creatives and artists working in film, games, and building the metaverse right now. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Okay, so... This is our first conversation. Why don't we start by just, you know, you telling me what you do. So I've been in the career uh, or in the industry for over 10 years now. And at the moment, I uh, help run an academy here in Sydney, Australia called the Animal Logic, or UTS Animal Logic Academy. And there I act as a creative director uh, and a creative lead. Mm-hmm. Basically, what we do there is we lead our students through a simulated studio environment. So mm-hmm. it's a so different to any other schooling. We're also pretty much challenging the way that you know, teaching is done in academia. We're practically led all the way. I myself don't have much education in that sense, although I am doing a master's of research on the side, but I have over a decade of experience. So what we're trying to do really is is to bridge the gap between young artists as these as the guys that you teach as well, mm-hmm. and give them a re like take these amazing foundational skills that they have, but then take them and put them into a real world problem solving problem. Like and in terms of a real studio environment. So we've got 28 students this year. They all work together on one project. They help. I put them through a creative process where they come up with a really strong two minute animation. And then we go into it like in production mode. So that's a film from a film side, VFX side. That's the first semester. Second semester, we jump into a more game dev side. So there we explore emerging technologies. And that's where my research really extends itself into. It's uh, mixed reality, virtual reality, augmented reality. For me, that's the future. There will always be games, there will always be film, and I love them equally much. Mm-hmm. However, what I wanted, what we try to do here is empower our students to actually look further and be ahead of the curve in terms of once VR and once we all are wearing our Apple headsets, which we will at some point, there's going to be a huge call for content. And we want to empower our students to be creators in this field and also be ready to work for companies in this field. Walk me through the diversity of this, of, of your your background, because you, like I said, you've okay. got film, you've got games, you've yeah. got, uh, looks like some commercial work. All right. So I started as a just 3D artist, thought I was going to mm-hmm. be a generalist, thought I was going to work in games. I did a one-year degree, uh, well, it's a cert four. It doesn't really count for anything as the paper does. But mm-hmm. as we both know, it's not much about paper, it's experience and it's your portfolio. It's your right. portfolio and your a- attitude that's going to get you the work. Right. After a year of that, I wanted to go into the job force and I found it really hard. And this is where I kind of talk. This is where I'm, I'm kind of a mentor and a coach these days, trying to coach young artists to get into the workforce and learn from my mistakes and learn from my learnings. And in this sense, I found it super hard to get in. You didn't get responses from employers, blah, 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 blah. But there were these other opportunities that I saw arise from certain studios. So Animal Logic, which is a big studio here in, in Australia, which did you know the Lego movies, Peter Rabbit most recently. They were doing some training programs, but it wasn't in 3D. It was in actually Roto and Comp Assist. So, yeah. but I thought, you know, and the, my attitude's always been like, if you haven't tried something, try it. So it was four, four weeks free education. I jumped in. The beauty of it, what I learned in hindsight, and only in hindsight do you see the path you've traveled, right? And know what you've learned along the way. The beauty of it was that I was now in a creative hub. I was with like-minded people. I had my foot inside a huge animation house and yeah. film house, learning Roto, which, you know, again, in hindsight, it helped me out. But at the time, I knew I was, I really wanted to do 3D animation as well. That was my passion. But by jumping into this uh, studio, 
I was able to do work and show that, hey, I can do work. I can work hard. I can work in a team. You know, collaboration is key. Soft skills, you know, not being a dick kind of, uh, I'm sorry for swearing on your podcast, sorry, <laughs> but, 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 but not being, you know, being a, being a good employer yeah. is important. And those things aren't, you know, the technical and the button pushing and, and you know, doing beautiful models is one thing, but a big thing that I saw, I've seen in my career is actually being a good employer and being a good teammate. Yeah. So through that, I was able to then push my passion. Now I was in this area where, people, where, where, where nine to six, I was doing Roto on uh, on a movie and I was offered a, job, a role in a movie after that training. But now I was, I was in the industry and I could then go home, do my animations. Animation was my passion and bring them in and show now animators because they were just down the hall, right? And, you know, you do that humbly as well. It's about approaching them in the kitchen and say, oh, I love animation. Would you love, would you like to look at my animations? And I was able to surround myself now by mentors and people, because most of us artists, uh, I'm sure you're the same, Ryan, we're always happy to help. We're always happy to look at other people's work and give critiques and feedback. Of course, there's a level you can't, we can't do it, you know, 24 hours a day, but it doesn't take much to look at a student's work and give them, give, offer them some advice. And the same with these mentors. So they did that for me. I was unable to, A, I was on the radar now for being someone who was keen to animate. And I was learning from some really great animators. So after a year of doing uh, Roto, which again, it's, I bring this up because you got to earn your stripes too. You also got to, you know, before you go to that glorious role of the role that you think your dream job, you got to actually, you know, there's a rite of passage there, man. You got to earn those stripes. So when they, then my contract was coming up with on that comp side of things, the 2D side, my supervisor, animators around, they had noticed my passion for animation. So they were willingly to now say, oh, well, look, we're looking for people in that department. And then they moved me over because they saw keenness. And I was able to navigate over into a 3D department. There mm -hmm. I started off doing layout first, you know, and, and again, this is something I, I could talk for ages about. So please just stop me if I'm going on mm -hmm. for too long. But in, you know, now you're in a layout department where you're learning 3D. There was a lot of downtime, but I had access to now relevant rigs for the productions they were doing. So I could play yeah. with those rigs animate those rigs, again, get feedback, show the animation leads, show uh, animation directors. And when they were looking for junior animators, instead of looking outside, they knew they had someone inside who was keen and who already was familiar with, with the style of the show and all that. So they moved me in and I, you know, took me like a good two years, but then I navigated into a junior animation position. So that was my journey as an animator, how I got into that. Again, the key takeaways there for the students who are listening is, I always feel, and this is what I was telling Natalie a bit, is just do what you have to do to get into that nest, which is the creative hub in a studio. And from there, you will escalate your career much faster than sitting on the outside and waiting for like that dream job. You know, but that's one of the problems that I think is out there, right? Because there's a lot of people that would be like, yeah, shit, yeah, I'll, you know, I'll do anything. And you got in literally at, you know, like the bottom, Roto. Is that Absolutely. what I understood? Absolutely. Yeah, and that's like one of the first jobs to get outsourced because it's, you know, that's a lot of, that's a lot of mouse yeah. jobs. Your wrists, you know, it's yeah. pretty hardcore. Yeah. And so, you know, that's right in there, but the, the same kind of thing doesn't exist necessarily in the game industry, you know, no. per se. And today it's actually a little bit different too because uh, in Roto, like about, uh, you said about 10 years ago? Yes. Yeah, all right. So that, it's now much more global, I think. Yeah. So in terms of the game side of things, I would say there's still junior positions to strive after. And so conversations I often have with people who are modelers, they want to be character modelers. And I feel 
Sure, that's great. And I don't want to, you shouldn't squash those dreams. You should keep those passions alive and always character model. But if you want to get into a game studio, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, I feel that environment modelers are, are more sought after to begin with. And I would say there's a, more junior environment modeler positions than there are junior character modeler positions. So already yeah. there, you kind of, you're setting yourself up like, you know, the mathematically, you know, if there's only, let's say, one character junior artist job for every 10, well, there's the ratio, one to 10, right? And to increase your chances, again, let's say it's like playing the lotto, mm -hmm. I want 10 numbers in the lotto, I don't want that one. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and, and there's stories with people who started off as runners. Do you know what I mean? Don't worry about that first year. What I would say is get in. I've known people who got into film industry by making coffee first. And then three days a week, they did coffee runs and all this you know, boring, mundane stuff. But then two days a week, they were given a box and were able to, again, surround themselves by artists that could inspire them and could teach them. And they're now senior lighters, you know, traveling the world. And it took them, yeah, it took them a couple of years, but everybody has a different journey. And what I try to do in my role as a mentor is kind of open, open young artists' minds and, and kind of make them think a bit wide, look outside the box kind of thing. You mm -hmm. know, hey, there's other ways to get into the industry. There is something there, though, where it's, and this is dangerous, is that you get pigeonholed, right? Yeah, and that's and kind of one of the that. things that I was going to get on. Because, yeah, it does seem like there's more jobs for environment, but then do you get pigeonholed. And then one yeah. of the strangest things I've encountered, and it might just be because of my my background is uh, leans towards character. But I noticed that the character artists in my game art program, you know, those that's actually one of the higher employed sides of it. A touch that's, more than environment. Yeah. yeah. Even though environment I know has more jobs out there, but that's one of the weird things that I'm noticing. So part of it also is like, how do artists prepare themselves and train themselves? Because each one of these industries, each one of these jobs has its own kind of difficulties. And tell me what you think on this front. But uh, let's say if it's 10 years, if it's five years ago, even five years ago, like before some of the PBR stuff and, and even some of the tech stuff, and then especially with some of the stuff like Studia, uh, Stadia, sorry, you know, the games and, and all the stuff, you had to be very low res. So there's a lot of modelers just optimizing things. But yeah. nowadays, it seems like the most important thing isn't, isn't the low res, it's the high res. Yeah, so it's a high, much higher fidelity we're seeing these days. When, you know, Unity and Unreal both are trying to push real time into film, you know, and make that... Yeah. That's how we want to make films in, in real time. And as so, we do so that, both sides of that equation need to get better at what they do. You know, like character artists need to be better at anatomy and uh, prop environment need to be better at lighting and, and you know, understanding yeah. modeling things. So what I say to that is always be learning. This industry is constantly reinventing itself. We're always inventing new technologies that are going to empower mm -hmm. us and make us push the board. And we can never be content and placid in, 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 in the way that we were taught. Because the tools that we were taught in now, three years time, might not be redundant. They might be redundant. However, the fundamentals behind it are going to be key. And so you always got to stay on the cusp. And that's that's kind of what pushes me into the way that we teach here as well by jumping yeah. into emerging technologies. And it pushes me into the research that I do on the side as well. Like I'm focused on mixed reality and storytelling in that vein because I see a huge opportunity there. That you know, how do we tell stories with these new devices? So always be learning is key. And that's something I tell my students too, is like, you're going to learn like nine, you're going to be learning from nine to six, right? Let's say on a standard day, but yeah. anybody who's anything in this industry, and I'm sure you did the same, Ryan, you worked your butt off after hours and through the night. Do you know what I mean? Because it was mm -hmm. a passion and because it's something that we love 
we love doing. And my quote, which I don't know, it's probably not true, but I made this one up is like Picasso didn't paint from nine to five. You know, Stevie Wonder wouldn't compose music from nine to five. Michael Jordan wasn't in the gym from nine to five. These guys who are masters in their craft, you know, were gym rats or they kept learning and they kept improving themselves outside the standard hours. And that passion and that motivation that they, they fuel each other and those are key. So you kind of have to have that as well. You know, I did a lot of research on this a while back, a couple of years ago. And one of the things that came out that was a little odd was painters, sculptors, like they're known for mm. going into the studio. You go into the studio and you just work the, in the studio. But then writers, writers have a max capacity per day. And it, yes. was, it was odd because it was like three to five hours tops. The top writers out there, that's the most productivity they can have in any one given day. They can sit down for three hours. That's good. Everything yeah. beyond three hours, pure crap. But yeah. you hear of stories of Picasso and, you know, late nights. And then you, Lucian mm-hmm. Freud had a really renowned work ethic, just mm-hmm. hours upon hours. But you couldn't do anything in CG for three hours a day. You No, <laughs> I could barely open my eyes. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> you barely closed the program. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it changed with us, which is an interesting note of what the tech does mm-hmm. to us, to our process as artists. But it does take a lot more than just an eight-hour day for us, regardless of these the past mediums, I guess. Yeah, I agree with that. And in terms of the the writer's side of thing, I mean, that is a, it's a whole different, it's much different than the, the, the tech pushy side of things. You know, sitting down and writing, you know, you often hear about the you know writer's block and all that stuff. But I only think there's like two or three hours in a day where they really get into the flow of things. Mm, yeah. You know, and it's it's about engaging with that flow and we know it when we sit down and you guys sit down and model and you're just in the rhythm and you just know it and you just don't want to stop right because you're just you're hitting it and there is research behind that where your mind you you hit this certain aspect which they actually do call the flow and with writing i've done a bit of that on the side as well it is much harder because you, you just get stuck in different areas i mean it must use a different part of the brain without me knowing like deep diving too much into that so i checked out this war tile game. What, what yes. did you do on the War Tile? So War Tile was the lead animator. Uh, so I was uh, there. So this is with some friends back in Copenhagen. Originally, I'm from Denmark and Copenhagen. And uh, these guys approached me and I ran the animation side of that. So it was pretty much I had a little team of animators remotely. And I ran just the animation performance side of, of that. So we were uh, animating rigs in Maya and then exporting them FBX so they could bring them into Unreal. That's cool. I like that. Yeah, it's a really interesting game concept. It's really cool. And I, you know, again, moving further, it would be an amazing thing to put into not just VR, but augmented reality as well, like being able to interact with your fingers and lift these little, so it became like a digital board game. Digital so Dungeons and Dragons, you know. Absolutely. Right there. Yeah, absolutely. So from your perspective, what kind of job openings are out there? Let's just start in a generic way, and then I'm going to kind of, I want to get a little bit okay. more granular in terms of how people prepare. And But just from your perspective, yeah. like what are the kind of job opportunities out there for just 3D artists, not thinking game or okay. film, just 3D artists. So for, for 3D artists starting out already, like without actually surveying the American games market enough, I know from my side of the world and in film, junior positions are already a dime a dozen, right? Mm-hmm. There's not, like in a place like Animal Logic, which is a big studio, high up to 500 people a day. I mean, you're looking at maybe 10 juniors in there. So already there as a starting out artist, how do you get that first break? It's very competitive. 
So in those tents, again, they run some amazing programs in match moving. They still do the roto because they don't outsource their roto. Actually, roto is a huge benefit for anybody who wants to be a compositor. So build themselves in. That's that's a really good foundation to have to be able to roto. Mm-hmm. And then there's also, they're doing some char effect stuff. So Houdini. Again, this is very film relevant. So I'm sorry for, the, 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 I know this is games. Again, but I, but I still think the same is true when you go into like a game studio. There's not going to be that many junior positions. So um, again, modeling seems to be the thing that's very... Uh, it's the most popular and animations, of course, are a popular craft as well. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I don't know where to go other than mentioning that junior positions are a dime a dozen already. So what, what, what do you do to get one of those junior positions? I, I'm, I'm happy to jump into that if you're ready. To well, uh, just looking at your you, on what you do, there's AR, there's VR, yeah. there's game, there's film. Yes. And so how do beginning artists interact with those kinds of jobs? It's kind of where I'm, I'm okay, to okay, see if okay. I can get granular. Because, for example, I think a lot of your work, you joined Animal Logic, and Animal Logic just did a lot of different stuff, right? No, that's that, yeah, that's that's not true though, because Animal okay. Logic do mainly film. Okay. Right. So, and from that, I touched uh, to 2D, which is the comp side of things, and then went yeah. into 3D. So they don't do any AR VR stuff. So that first happened when I started uh, freelancing and breaking out a bit into then doing these game apps. I touched a bit of Wartile. That's when I got familiar a bit with Unreal and real-time engines. I did a, a Talking Tom running game app with some guys, Outfit 7, I believe. They're in Budapest. And then I got a bit familiar with uh, Unity through that. And so just seeing that there's these other, again, always be learning, these other programs out there, and they're free to use. You know, Unreal, you can grab for free. Unity, you can grab for free. It's really about jumping in and deep diving into those things and just trying to bring a model in, uh, a rig model in and getting it animated in a real-time environment and exposing yourself to this new technology. I feel that's key because right now there's not many jobs, again, also in the VR, AR space. That's something that's going to happen. It's slowly growing, but we're not there yet. I think that's like we're still like four or five years into that when you're going to see a boom in studios specializing in that stuff. What do you think are the factors that are going to increase that? When these devices become more consumer ready. So mm-hmm. like from GDC now, they've just announced, as I think there was a $400, there's some $400 headsets coming out, which are pretty powerful, but that's fine. You get a $400 headset, it's still a bit pricey, right? Most people probably buy a PlayStation before they do that, potentially. But there's a $400 headset, but then you also need a, a good machine to run it, right? So yeah. you're looking at expenses, which are, you know, maybe like fifteen hundred to two thousand dollars easily, and that's not consumer friendly. So there's not enough people latching onto this stuff. It's only when the prices are become, you know, again, it goes back to when Apple come out with their headset. I think people, you're going to see a, a, a rise in people, you know, a like the Apple Watch. You know, almost everybody's got one except for me, but everybody's got an iPhone or a smartphone. Once they are consumer available and consumers can buy these things at a decent price, that's when you'll see studios then saying, all right, we got to get on this. Now, some studios are already on it and and smart enough doing it. But a lot of the stuff that is being done in VR right now is training stuff. It's like exhibition stuff. You know, it's like for rides and theme parks. And that's where they're getting good clients and they're making some money on it. It's not really the games that are going on on you know steam or uh, viveport that's not really driving driving their businesses at the moment so so have you seen the new um i don't know if they have this in your part of the world but in uh, over here the uh, theme parks 
So yes. Disney's old school theme park, you know, it's the rides and all of that. And then you go mm-hmm. over to Universal and Universal's gone full on, put the glasses on and you're in these like VR, AR kind of setups. Yes. There's some cool uh, ones over here as well. Uh, you've got one over there, I think it's called The Void. Is that correct? Mm, Which, I don't know. Or that. Is, that, is that here? Anyway, there's, 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 a, there's a few. I'd have to look them up. So, But there are where you go in and it's like laser tag, right? Yeah. Everybody gets a backpack, they get a VR headset, and you can walk around these open warehouse environments. The beauty there is they, so it's, it's you know, and you pay probably like, I wouldn't know, I haven't tried them yet, to be honest, but you'd probably pay like 80 bucks a pop, really, mm-hmm. for, yeah. for 30 minutes. But the experience you get is that ready player one type vibe. You're stepping into a complete different world. And, and the smart ones, they actually map it out, map the 3D environment out to the tangible warehouse environment around you so when you do touch a wall you actually touch the wall and i've seen some go as far as and there's one in utah and there's one in new york like there's a ghostbusters one as well and where they actually they put yeah where they put down strings when you walk through these strings like there's just strings in real life but in vr it's a web right so you're getting this you're playing on the senses right Mm. Uh, which is the power of vr is that full immersion so there's those yeah there's those yeah, it would freak you out. And, you know, not, VR is not for everyone either. Like people get nauseated really quickly. So you, you have that issue as well, which you can't solve that because that's a biological difference. You know, some people get car sick, some people don't. And VR does that. So you're already there. VR is kind of cutting down possible clients. Mm-hmm. And that's where something like mixed reality, you know, the HoloLens Magic Leap is a, is a beautiful kind of bridge where you still have reality around you, but you've got 3D characters walking around, actually map into your environment, interacting with your environment. And that stuff is what, yeah, that's where we're going, I feel. And again, huge, huge call for game artists in that area because it is game. It's gamifying experiences. And whether it's a training program or a medical program or a rehabilitation program for a medical, a medical sector, they need artists and they will need artists who can create models for real time, which in fact is games. So, Well, you know, along those lines, why do animators get all the credit? <laughs> I've been wondering okay, about uh, this for a while. Because we're very uh, outspoken and pre- we're prima donnas. I'll be the first to say, admit that. <laughs> but, but, uh, but at the same time, it's also people's ignorance is not a good word, but, but they don't know. Like when people come, and they look at a Pixar movie, they say, oh, that was an amazing animation. And when they say animation, what they mean is everything. Where, where when you break it down, the way I have to break animation down to my wife or my in-laws is I'm a puppeteer. So I take Kermit the Frog as an example. I hope people mm-hmm. know who Kermit the Frog is. I know you do, but you know, the generation, we might be missing out on some Sesame Street uh, Muppet mm-hmm. show here. The younger youths. But Kermit, you know, you guys make modelers. You guys make Kermit the Frog, right? Then you got mm-hmm. Riggers. They put the sticks in for Kermit the Frog. I put my hand up him and move his mouth and move the sticks and give him, you know, life. And that's the best way I found to break down what an animator is and a modeler. You know, then you got texture artists gives him his green color. You know, designers before that draw him up and so on and so forth. And <laughs> and the the Oscars named after you guys. What is that all about? Oh, see, this is again. Yeah, look, I don't want to go into Oscar talk, but. Uh, <laughs> There's a lot of politics behind the Oscars, which, you know, I have my opinions and uh, they're, they're great. It's good to see, you know, Spider-Verse win. What a fantastic movie. So shout uh, out to all of Wasn't it? That was unreal. It's unreal. Like what? A, and we needed it. We needed something fresh, new, and it's groundbreaking. That That is 
Absolutely. I think that's yeah. probably like that's the only film I've seen in a long time I'd put that phrase to. Like Matrix is groundbreaking. Yes. Uh, yeah. I well, like Jurassic Park. Yeah, yeah, know? of course. Yeah, those are the big ones. But then yeah. there was that one where the guy forgets a lot, and I thought the storytelling on that was Memento. Memento, like that just blew yeah. my mind for some reason. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, in terms yeah. of the storytelling. Absolutely. But the visuals, so, then, like the way Spider-Verse yeah. worked, it it had wow. that whole um chromatic aberration and it was just crazy comic book effect and when you i love all these articles that are coming out now which again it was from the guys that i know who worked on it that said it was the hardest slog ever because they were reinventing the wheel basically how to approach this stuff however they put in the hours and they put into work and they created a masterpiece and the credit to all the visuals it's great but the story on its own holds up without that too you right. know what i mean it was a really inspiring story, and like I've I've got kids, and I you know I've got three kids, and it was just a, a pleasure to watch a story which was so empowering and just so unique in its own way. So, but the visuals on top of that, and I've watched it like four times, so I'm 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 I'm, 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 I'm ready to watch it again right now, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah, I didn't buy it, but we, I think after this conversation, I'll go buy it. I got to get that because yeah. yeah, it's too no good. Doubt. So why don't we um why don't you tell me what do you think students need to do? And people who are just starting out need to do. What did they have to put in their portfolio? Because we're both in agreement. Portfolio is really the only thing that matters. The portfolio is going to get you the look in, and it's going to get you the yeah. interview, right? Yeah. So what I look at in portfolios as well. So your CV is key too. How do you don't undersell yourself? If you know some coding, if you've worked at McDonald's, these things are actually key in a CV. So let's start with the CV there. Like if you've worked a, a, a quote unquote, I call them shit jobs, but they're actually the hard jobs. Something which is customer facing. If you've worked a bar, mm. McDonald's, at a store, checking groceries, that tells me that you can work in a team, you can be told what to do, and you've got like resilience in that area, in those <laughs> soft skills. Yeah, any you know one of those jobs will teach you resilience. <laughs> and resilience is key, man, because you walk into a studio, that's what you need. And, and because people are going to tell you, and this is something we teach at the academy too, is not to take it personally when people give you. Feedback because a we don't have time to sugarcoat feedback. You know, a, a supervisor doesn't have time to say, "Oh, you know, this was really nice." This, they're going to go fix this, fix this, fix this, and it's really brutal as a junior artist to walk into something like that mm-hmm. and walk out and without taking it personally. Ninety uh, percent of the times, you take that personally. However, you've worked in those McDonald's areas, you've dealt with customers who aren't happy and unsatisfied. You've already got yourself a bit of resilience in that area. So put those things on your CV. Don't talk about them elaborately. You just need to mention I worked for McDonald's from here to here because I'm sure that they will bring it up in an interview if you get mm-hmm. that. Now, so and the same with coding and stuff like that. Don't forget how important the technology behind the tools we use is. So if you've got some C Sharp, C++, some Python skills in you, make sure you mention that because they could look at you as a technical artist. That could be the tipping point. Like you might have two guys who are two girls who are even, right? Two artists who are even keel, but this one has a bit of coding. That could tip you in the scales of we only have room for one. And so for your portfolio as a modeler, in my time, I, I did model when I was uh, starting out. However, I didn't get a job as a model. I have never worked, but I've worked with plenty. And what I've been told and what I've seen is showing diversity. So you don't want to just do full character. I, I, I reckon not just a lineup of full characters. If you are doing characters, don't do dragons. Don't do elvish characters. <laughs> this is what I've just been told as well. So um, mm. Because you want to do something that you can do a one-to-one relation to. 
Like if you start doing something which is fantastical, like fantasy, there is nothing to compare it to other because you can be subjective and say, well, that's what I designed it to look like, right? Versus showing, being able to show that, hey, here is Brad Pitt. Take an image from Brad Pitt and Fury. Can you model that one to one? Now you're showing you're showing uh, an employer and you're showing a lead. Hey, he understands exactly how to hit something one to one. There's a direct comparison there. Similarly with environments, an old leather boot. If you can take a picture of an old leather boot and you can model that right next to it, and it's a one to one comparison, you know, A over B, and it's just like whoa. It, and it, even if it's not 100% there, but it's 90% there, they can see potential in your skill and in, in, in your in your work. So those are the things. And then showing diversity, have have some hard surface, have some organic. If you are truly just character focus, again, I'm not going to stop. I don't want to stop that. But like I was saying earlier, I just feel like you're already selling, you're chopping down possibilities there to get into a studio because there's less character jobs. However, like you said, your students are having more success in that area. So, I mean, there could be so many factors to that. Yeah. So it sounds like the way that you are approaching this is make sure that you're as... Um I cover your bases, so to speak. Yeah. And so one of the concerns that comes up in my brain is, is if you're versatile, how do you dive deep? Yeah. And but, but are we talking yeah. just from a modeling standpoint? Well, like you could say modeling or um or whatnot. Because like, for example, let's say when I was going to school, I was going mm. to school, oh gosh, back when they the PCs couldn't even run the software. The machines were like those indigos. They cost like a hundred thousand yeah. dollars or something like that. Yeah. yeah. So if you could model like a cup, you had a job as a character artist. <laughs> yeah. that's, I mean, they had nobody. But now, with so many people out in the industry, with it being so hard, you know, mm-hmm. how do you distinguish yourself if you're going to cover all the bases? That's, I think, the rub. That's the hard part. And it sounds like you do that. But the question is how? How If I'm going to cover my bases, how do I still dive deep or, or at least yeah. put myself in a position to be above you know, everybody else? Everybody else. That's a good question. The one thing I would break down now, and I saw mm-hmm. Laura ask, well, if you're just talking from a modeling standpoint, then I think it's, it's fine to diversify within modeling. Right. You can do yeah. character. You can do environment. You can do hard surface. You can do organic and soft. Right. Yeah, it's going to be a hustle and you're going to have to work hard to do that. But you can do that. That's achievable. However, if you want to be a generalist as in a 3D, like you want to animate, rig, model, surface, light, that's when I say, no, 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 no. You got to specialize. But again, it does depend on what studios you are targeting. Are you going to go work with a a five-man indie studio? Well, then it's great to have these skills where you can jump around and be flexible. Are you going to go work with you know, let's say um, on the next Red Dead Redemption, I'm pretty sure you need to specialize <laughs> as you're either an environment modeler or you're a character modeler. And you can correct me if I'm wrong here, Ryan, or you're an animator or you're a surfacer. Do you know what yeah. I mean? So it depends yeah. on the studio that you're navigating yourself towards and where you want to end up. In big feature film, you have to specialize, but that's not specializing within modeling. I think modeling, you still need to be able to show a range of diversity within that. So for the guys who are doing your character course, my advice would be keep pushing characters for sure, but don't neglect doing a bit of environments for this character to be in. Like uh, I love those little dioramas that tell a story a little. And totally. for the uh, and for the guys who are doing the environment stuff, don't neglect the characters, and then don't neglect the organic side and the hard surface side, et cetera, et cetera, within that. Yeah, and I, I think that's an interesting point because a lot, one of the things that happens with um, character people 
you know, myself included, we just kind of, you know, uh, like I just love to sculpt naked people. <laughs> so I, if that's the only thing yeah. I could, if if I could get away with me that, that's all I would do. You know, <laughs> just yeah, yeah, go, absolutely. Go sculpt a whole yeah. bunch of naked people and be like, oh, you know, this is my life. But yeah. in games, you know, you got to do marvelous designer. You got to texture all that stuff. So you got to be in the substance painter. And if you go deeper, it's designer, but not necessarily for character. And then you work from there. So what kind of software do you think is important? Because when I was talking to Natalie about all this, she mentioned things like Katana and a couple of different things. So that's film-based Katana, highly filmed. Again, your students are very game-focused. So I would say Mm -hmm. you need to understand an engine, like get your head around Unity, Unreal, most likely one of the two if not both. But no, you don't need to have a deep dive understanding unless you're kind of like a coder and a, a developer at the back end. But being able to bring your models in and understanding how these systems work so you can work with people in that vein. And in terms of the software stack, I mean, Substance is the one to go with right now. Substance right. painter for um, texturing and like you said, designer, particularly for um, environments. Like being able to create your own substance, your own materials is key. You know, Maya is, seems to be the standard software stack. And as a modeler, you're probably going to want ZBrush as well. Be able to jump back and forth between those two. I don't know. What, what do you use in that area? Do you, you're a ZBrush user when you sculpt? Me, or yeah. Mudbox? No, yeah. no. I, I, you know, since I helped develop ZBrush, I, um, I can't bring oh, myself. Oh, there you go. <laughs> I, I can't bring myself to touch the program, which shall not be named. Yes. Sorry for naming it. <laughs> um, <laughs> but that's the thing. It's like, you also want to keep it, you know, a bit of, like for me, the way we treat our projects in the studio and in any studio, if possible, we select the best software for the project's needs. Yeah. Of course, that's a very expensive approach. But yeah. That's a very nice holistic kind of, that's the ideal world. With film, we were using Mari to start with, but then Substance made this huge run. So we jumped onto Substance also because when we jump into real time, that's going to benefit us big time. You know, when we cross into the gamified projects that we do. Oh, so even um, in film. You're getting into substance now. Absolutely, substance oh, is making so a push in, in film. Yeah, it's. it's yeah, I saw that. It, so. I just didn't know if it'd taken root yet. So that's great. No, no, no. So slowly, slowly, effects houses are still using it. I mean, we are going to look at with our character because you can get a bit more high fidelity and like close up the characters and go into a bit more detail with Mari still. So we're totally. in a beautiful spot where we can use both. But I think, I mean, as long as Adobe having bought uh, algorithmic now, don't mess it up. Uh, substance is, is, yeah. is making a push, you know? Yeah, do- 3D is not Adobe's thing, so it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting. But I've heard that the you know the Substance creator has been given kind of free reigns again. Now I'm saying oh. it's live, but I don't know. But I hope I hope that's the case. I, uh, I've been you know on the, the forum reading. Yeah, and having worked in software at, at probably one of the leading innovators out there, like I was, I was there from ZBrush 2 to ZBrush 3.5, and um, that's hard. To build a company that does that and innovates, you know, Pixelogic was able to do it because they had funds. Yeah. You know, they had a they had a backer. You know, some of these events, like if you go to back then, if you went to SIGGRAPH, it was like it was over a hundred thousand dollars. You know, to go to yeah. to put a booth up, that's yeah. crazy money. You know, so that they've got some funding because how how they survived and how they grew is is that's a marvel. So whoever ran that. Yeah i.e. the the founder, you know, and so to have him move over and start to head up Adobe is very, to me, encouraging because that's a hard thing yeah. to achieve. Yeah, absolutely. When Speaking of ZBrush, now that you're on the topic, when uh, yeah. when are you guys going to come to Linux? 
Yeah, right. <laughs> I don't know. I have nothing to do with them anymore. You know? <laughs> okay, my, okay. My days with them are are over. But right. uh, I don't see that happening. Too no, soon. I think they're too. They're on top of their game. You know what I mean? So they don't. Yeah, have they're to. very consumer uh, centric because that's where their money is. Yeah. And yeah. whereas Autodesk can be a little bit on the um, on the engineer centric side yeah. of it, you know, or the product yeah. producer side, Pixel is very yeah. consumer driven. Yeah. Always has been. Yeah. So that's software. Now, what do you think are some of the uh, one of the ways that I build the boot camp is around the idea that it's not important. And it sounds like you guys you you have a similar philosophy to this a bit, but it's not important for you to know everything. Like you know, exactly. you don't have to be a master of Maya. Like who the hell's a master of Maya? You know, nobody, <laughs> nobody. The program is crazy deep, right? Yeah. It's like took yeah. me three months just to like feel even remotely comfortable. I opened up ZBrush. It took me like a weekend. Mm-hmm. But even then, you know, then it's all you got to know about anatomy and form. So from yeah. my perspective, it's not about being a master. It's about if you're looking at a job, looking for a job, just what are the triggers that tell somebody you can do the job? And what are the triggers that tell you you can't? So cool. when somebody looks at my, when I look at anatomy, I, within three seconds, I know exactly where their anatomy level is. Yeah. Look at their elbows, look at their wrists. You know everything you need to know. Mm-hmm. And the forearm. If you see their forearm muscle, that'll tell me everything I need to know about their ability. So what are some of the triggers that, from your perspective, tell people they're employable? In okay. film, in games, in whatever. Don't matter. Yeah, in, in life in general. It's, it's to see, so what I like to see is potential. Mm-hmm. Right, because I believe that if you come into the environment, if you come into the culture, into the studio, you will learn. Like we'll gauge you on that potential, and we'll make it an assessment, saying, "All right, if we bring you in, you're going to grow artistically, creatively, technically. That's fine." The key is to great, great to gauge those soft skills because you might have all this great potential, yeah. but if you're impossible to work with, if you are re- can't take feedback on it, you're going to make it a hard time. Like we have this philosophy again; it's called just. Don't be a dick, right? Yeah. I've seen rock star artists, like great animators, great artists, never be invited back onto a production again because they were toxic to work with. So the key is collaboration. And that's something that we really push here. And it's a, it's a hard one because I'd love to focus on the creative more so, but I find that over 50% of my time, I'm actually more of a psychologist. I'm more so, <laughs> yeah, de- yeah I'm, I'm dealing with people's differences. Yeah. We're from all walks of life. We have different opinions. We're brought up differently. And how do we come together? Luckily, I was a big fan and uh, played basketball for all my life. And that's a great analogy. Team sports is you can come from anywhere. But once you get on in within those lines and the basketball goes up in the air, you need to work together. You need to find a syn- like synergy. And you know, race, color, religion, differences, all that is just blown away. And you're there and you're, you're, you're a team. Same thing as when you're trying to finish a project or game or film or anything like that. You need to be able to, you know, compromise your beliefs and differences. And it's, I'm not telling people to change because that's the last thing we want to do. I want people to be independent. However, people do have a choice. And if you can't, if you don't feel like this is an environment for you, and this could also go back to the pigeonholing thing. If you feel like you're being pigeonholed, you always have that option of humbly just saying, Hey, you know, this isn't for me and, and, and resigning. I've resigned from jobs before, like humbly, and they'll have me back on another project because I wasn't happy, you know, because it was I wasn't getting what I felt I needed out of this job. And if you're not happy, if you're not comfortable, if you're not having experiencing joy every day, well, that's a problem. That's that's something that we, we have to create these environments where people actually are enjoying their work because the work will shine. 
through that. So get back to your point, it's gauging potential. In animation, I'm looking at, do they understand weight shifting? Is there timing and spacing? All the fundamentals in there, it doesn't have to be great. It doesn't have to be polished, especially not at this level because we, we're teaching an academy here, right? So when yeah. we're looking at people coming into the academy, it's at a junior, junior level, right? Because mm-hmm. my job is to get them out there as a, a high-functioning junior, like a lower mid is, is, would be the key for us when they come a year and spend a year with us. They come out the other end and they're overachieving juniors, to be honest. Mm-hmm. But seeing that potential in whatever craft, so when it comes to surfacing, lighting, like we've even looked at people who've come, they come to us and they haven't touched 3D and they've done oil canvas paintings and light studies and in, in, in traditional art. But we'll see a potential there. It's like, wow, imagine putting this person into lighting or into substance. Imagine the textures they could give on some of these projects. And we'll then interview the person and talk about, this is where we think you should go. If you want to transfer these skills, again, transferable skills from a traditional foundation like oil painting and canvas painting to 3D, we'll give you our advice. If you think that's great and you want to take that on board and pursue that, then we kind of have some questions in line that gauge your attitude and gauge your your soft skills. Because mm-hmm. that, to me, that is the key. Of course, you can't be a shit, shit artist, right? You have to show some potential. But right. as long as you can see that in whatever discipline it is you choose, I find that's that's really important. What do you think are some of the keys to communicating? How do you make yourself yeah. like receptive? Receptive, that's, yeah. It's, it's, you are. Okay, so. The keys to doing that, like exposing yourself. So go to some of these meetups, go to events, like there's conferences all the time. Go and, and, and break that mold. Like the problem with us artists, right? We are introverts. We do love sitting in front of a screen for hours on end, right? And there's very little social interaction when we're sitting at home, like working on our portfolio. So yeah. being able to break up and go to these events and go and talk to people like online forums, that doesn't count. I'm sorry. You need really personal yes yeah, not a social you, life <laughs> yes well some of us are extroverts laura uh, uh, absolutely but, and, but online yeah online keyboard bashing is not a social life and playing video games even though i love doing that and getting online with mates and that's still not that eye-to-eye contact is key just talk to somebody face to face yeah and have discussions that comes with practice and experience yeah it's interesting you know because i think some people will think i'm a bit of an extrovert because i do videos and i've been doing videos for a while like we did this ad where I had my face on the boot camp and one of my partners was in the studio and it went live on art station. And yep. um, all these guys are like, oh, Ryan, you know, he's like this. Uh, he's always uh, out there. But I don't go to a lot of events. I'm very much of an introvert. I'm, mm. I don't go out and meet a ton of people. I don't hit GDC up. I don't hit any of these things up. I kind of prefer to live in my little castle on the hill which is kind of a castle on the hill here in Laguna Beach. And, uh, you know, that's nice. But you're right. You do need to learn how to make eye contact, which I think is one of the key things. Yeah, interpersonal skills. So, like, if you get a job interview, you need to actually, as as much as shaking someone's hand walking in the door, Right. right, and acknowledging everybody in that room, don't just sit and stare at one person. Don't just sit and stare down at the at, at your at your feet. You need to be able to look at people and talk to them because they're gauging that stuff. Totally. They, they, you're, you're there for a reason. They're there because your work has intrigued them. Now you're there to kind of show, hey, is this someone we can work with? Is this, this someone who can actually, we can get along? Or will this person come in and feel totally like out of, out of home and, and not be able to work at its best? Again, it's when you're creating these teams, you're trying to create a, a healthy, fun, collaborative environment. You know, that's an interesting note because that's all... It, 
for me, you know, a key part of it is because the primary job I have, the way I see my job is I just make job candidates. That's it. You know, mm-hmm. I like to tell people, if you want a guaranteed job, it does kind of exist. It's not an art. You got to go be a programmer. Mm-hmm. If you want to, if you yeah, need yeah. the job, programmer, a million unmet jobs by 2020. So they say, yep. I've done some programming and I'm not a human when I program. It's like, I'd be divorced. Yeah. That's just, yeah. you know, it changes your emotional tone. It's, it's, uh, yeah. it's kind of addictive, but, um, you know, at the, at the end of that, we want to be artists. We want to do this. We want to live, you know, our life, kind of live life on our terms, so to speak. You know, that's kind Absolutely. of our goal, right? That's key. That's key. So if I was walking into a job interview and I wanted to, quote unquote, own the room, if I wanted to give everybody the feeling that I was capable, mm-hmm. because part of it is our art. We think it's our art, but it, that's a small part of it. Yes. Yeah, the parts like what you're talking about, you want to give that soft skill. But and so if we were to say yeah. what we want is we want to own that room, what do we have to do? What do we do to make that happen? So there's there's keys. And it, it, like, come on, like we have to also be serious. You're gonna be nervous. But walking into the room, you shake their hands, you acknowledge everybody. What I'd like to tell my my artists when they go out, do some research. Usually you'll know who's gonna be in that room. There's gonna be an email saying such and such is such and such, they're gonna be there. It doesn't take you long. Take yourself a couple hours research who they are, what have they worked on, kind of make note of that because they might have worked on a movie that you really loved and there will be a moment there where you can mention that. They might have worked with somebody who you know, you just don't know. So you should always kind of research is key. And that's the same, and this goes back to actually the job ads too. You need to research your job ads. Don't just read them, study them. The answers are in between those lines. They're asking you specific questions there. If you can answer all of them and add, for example, that you have programming knowledge or whatever, or that you love Let's say for Peter Rabbit that you have a you, you're fixated about birds or that you love Legos. Those things are tipping points. They can make you actually, oh, this guy's totally entrenched. He loves Legos and we're doing Lego movie seven. Well, let's bring him in kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So but back to the room, when you walk in, you know, it's okay to say, uh, you know, I'm a bit nervous. Just just let them know because they'll know. Right. Instead of sitting there fidgeting, you just let them know. And then once you've said that, you're going to feel more at ease because then you've taken that one off your your list off your mind saying, okay, oh, what if, what if they think I'm nervous? Blah, 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 blah. No, just let them know. I'm nervous. It's, it's okay. They'll say it's okay. And then they'll talk. The key then is to, to acknowledge everybody in the room, talk to them. You got to be ready to talk about your work. You can do some research about the project that you're potentially being hired for as well. So if you've got, let's say it's a car game, whatever, you know, the next Gran Turismo or what Forza, Forza 8, then you want to talk about your interest in cars and blah, 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 blah. Like you want to cater yourself to that forum. And, you know, I can harp on and say, just be confident, but confidence isn't that easy. That comes with practice. Mm-hmm. So what you could do is do practice interviews. You know, you could practice interview with people and set up these scenarios. And then something that we do, you know, role play is something we do when we prototype our VR, AR experiences, like at a very early stage before even getting in and making it. We role play our experience. So one person acts as the AI, as the computer, and then you pretend, one person pretends he's in VR, and, and then he'll say, okay, so what if I do this? I'm trying to do this. What does this do? And then the person will say, the AI will say, well, that doesn't do anything. Or that, that will open this door. Or that will do that. And so already before you're jumping into creating this stuff and putting in the hard hours and labor into it, you've actually found out and outlined some key areas that you actually need to work on. So back to the interview is the same thing. I would say you can practice interview with people, go to events or try to go to places where you're actually forced to kind of mingle a bit as well. 
because that mm-hmm. stuff makes it easier. It's, it's just only through, you know, experience is your best master, right? Or is your best teacher. There's an old saying. So it's only by going through it. And, you know, there's a saying, fail often, fail fast. I believe that's true as well. You're only going to learn from your mistakes. Like mm-hmm. if we live too sheltered a life and always are thinking, what if, what if, what if, what if, that's just a what if. It's still a hypothetical. It's just a hypothetical. Go out and meet it. And you're actually going to find out that, you know, hey, I can do this. Mm. So yeah, dusting off cobwebs, that kind of thing, building resilience. And that comes through practice. So you can simulate those environments. They'll never be the real thing. But there's a lot of little detail, like little um, tips that I give my, uh, the people I mentor when to get ready for job interviews and stuff. And they seem to work all right. Cool. I have uh, had a therapist once, like a real genuine therapist. When I was younger, I followed Ayn Rand a lot. And um, one of the people that was in that, she's a fix, she's a writer back in the day, Atlas Shrugged and Fountainhead. But there, there was a guy who was a part of that, a psychologist. His name is Nathaniel Brandon. Used to write on self esteem. I don't know how I yeah. did it, but I ended up, I, I like just had to learn from this guy. So I went and <laughs> I was his patient for a while. And um, one of the things that he told me was, when you walk into a room and you need to you know, you need to perform, so to speak. One of the things he said was pay attention to every detail that you can. Mm-hmm. Try to notice yeah, re- everything. Yeah. And uh, from, from his perspective, he was thinking like one of the things that happens when we get nervous is we, we narrow our focus and that yeah. causes problems. So if you can counteract that and just become aware of everything and just notice the color of the floor, the, you know, not be looking around all crazy like, but yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just be noticing and stuff. It's quite uh, powerful or empowering. Yeah, absolutely. That takes practice, man. And like therapy is practice as well. You're training your mind to mm. do something that you're not used to, breaking bad habits, et cetera, et cetera. And there's something also that we go through here at the Academy. Like we really focus on that collaboration, soft skills a lot. And one of the things is reading the room, right? Yeah. Being able to read a room and that just comes with, well, we share all our anecdotes that we've made, like we've, we've had throughout the years, but being able to sit in like, let's say a daily session, for those of you who don't know what dailies, daily sessions are, that's when everybody sits together and watches the work that artists have done and a supervisor and a director are there giving notes and you're learning from other people's notes, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But knowing what to do and how to read the room, is this a forum where people are, everybody has a say, or is this a, a forum where no, it's just the director and the lead talking and you're listening. And I've seen people burn in those sessions because they think, oh, they can just speak about everybody's work. No, that's not the case. You know, and, and it's about, again, if you're in a job interview, you need to be able to still like read the room. Where is this conversation going? What are they asking? There's body language stuff. There's all sorts of stuff that, that comes into play, which at a higher level, you can learn to master. But I'm not, I wouldn't expect First, like junior artists coming out to master that, I would say, don't worry about that stuff. That will come. But mer- worry about eye contact, doing a bit of research, shaking someone's hand properly is, is, is key. You know, mm-hmm. letting them know that you're nervous. All those things are, and being prepared to talk about your work, speak about your work, the processes behind your work, and being prepared to talk about the project you're going for. Those things are really key. Yeah. So Gus, uh, somebody wants an answer here. So do you see a difference between self-taught artists versus those who spend two or three years in a 3D school? So I do. I do see a difference there. But again, my quirky remark is it does depend on the school because some schools out there, I again, that's why we've established the academy in the way we have done as well. It's industry led. 
it's led by people who actually have experience. Whereas some schools, they have, you know, students from the year before teaching. That's a common kind of thread that happens in a lot of schools. And there's still stuff to be gained there. If you haven't touched the 3D programming, that's a good way to get foundational skills in Maya or whatever. But the difference is self-taught, you're usually in a singular, isolated environment. And this plays back into the soft skills. We have some amazing artists here this year in the academy, and they are like, they're ready to work in the industry. However, they've been self-taught and they have no social skills. And that's, that's what they're here to learn. They're here, they're here to learn to collaborate, of course, and build their technical skills. But I had no concern about that. Like these guys will be leads if they master. They'll be leads and supervisors one day if they master those uh, soft skills, as we call them. And no, you don't have to be Sherlock when you go to those interviews. Again, let me just rephrase, <laughs> rephrase that like as a junior, there's not, you're not expected to be go in there and read the room. However, it takes you an hour to do some research on the people who are going to be in that room with you and you're going to be so much better equipped. You know what I mean? And that's, that, those are the small tangibles that can get you ahead. Another hint that I might as well drop while we're on that, look at your peers and people around you who have successfully gained entry into junior positions. You can reach out to those guys and you can look at them on LinkedIn. You can look at their demo reels and then you can critically compare yourself. Okay, look what they put on the reel. Look, that's got them a job. Look at my reel. Oh, it's the same. Or let me look at their CV. Reach out to them. Can I, can I see the CV you got? You know, and, and you can do some little ground homework there, which is just basic stuff. And I think you can, uh, that's going to empower you guys and, and actually give you a head start. That's awesome. All right. Well, we are right there at a little bit over an hour. That was an awesome conversation. Wow. Thank you so much, Chris. I, I, I'm really yeah. glad to have met you and to have this conversation. Beautiful. Hey, uh, I'm going to be a Seagraph this year. So if you're around, I'd love to catch up. That'd be great. Yeah. If I can get myself, it's really hard for me to get out of Laguna Beach. It's too beautiful. You're too, too comfortable. <laughs> too comfortable. Yeah. But, uh, you okay. know, it's a thought. It's a thought. All, all right, right, my friend. Anyway, thank you. All right. We'll speak soon. Thanks, guys. Good luck on your journeys. All right. All right. All right. You guys, you got any questions? You know where to reach me. I can funnel them over to Chris. And uh, thank you guys for joining here live. All right. Take care, Chris. Perfect. See you guys. All right. Thank you so much for taking the time out to listen to this. And I want to ask just two things of you. Number one, make sure to leave a comment or rank this wherever you are listening to it on Apple, uh, Stitcher, Spotify. It really makes a difference in helping us get the word out about this industry and about what we do. Number two, make sure you visit vertexschool.com to learn more about what programs we offer in this area as a creative and for artists who are looking to jumpstart their career and discover a new industry. Again, thank you so much for listening. We're accepting applications right now, so I look forward to hearing from you soon.